Hi, I'm Ana Michelle Asimakopoulou, an MEP with the EPP Group, and welcome to another edition of MEPcast. Today, I'm very, very, very honored to have three extremely high-level experts with us to discuss the future of international trade after the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Um, and I, I'll start, uh, as I see them on the screen, I'll start with the Director General of DG Trade. Welcome, Sabine Feynard. How, I, I can never say that right. I'm so sorry, Sabine. Can you say it? Say it. Sabine, Sabine Vyand. Sabine Vyand. Okay. You are not Viand. doing so badly. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sabine Vyand. Hello, digitally this time. We usually meet in various committee settings or in Parliament. Thank you very much, Sabine, from I see from your office, correct? For joining correct. us today in Brussels, from your office in Brussels. Susan, thank you also. Susan da da Danger. Danger. You're a dangerous Susan. Susan. No, you're doing very well. It's actually Danger. German pronunciation. Susan Danger. Yes. <laughs> no problem. Okay. I've got it right. Susan Danger, but, um, a, a well known, the well known CEO of AmCham EU. You're in Brussels also, Susan, correct? That's correct. I'm in okay. Sunny There you go. Nice to see you, Susan, and thank you very much for, for finding time. And Victor Duprado, I said that right on the first try. Victor from the from WTO. Victor is the director of the Council and Trade Negotiations Committee. Hi, nice to see you. Nice Victor, to you're, you, you're uh, in Susan. Great to WTO be here. headquarters. Yes, um, at home in Geneva, actually. We're not allowed to go into the headquarters. Excellent. Okay, so welcome digitally to all of you. Um, we have a, a daunting topic topic to discuss, and that is the future of international trade. Um, I'm sure all of you, I, I'm going to start with some daunting projections. Um, I'm sure all of you saw the IMF report that came, up, came out yesterday, which says that um, the global economy is probably going to decrease by 3% in 2020, which is uh, worse than it did during the 2008-2009 financial crisis. Um, the U.S. economy is projected to, to contract by 5.9% this year. The Eurozone, 7.5%, and China is actually expect to, expected to grow at a much lower pace. That is 1.2% in 2020. Um, for its part, I understand, and, and Victor will tell us more about this, that the WTO expects merchandise trade in 2020 to plummet by between... Optimistic scenario I understand is around 13% society is a, a scenario is upward of 30%, 32%, which will also lead to heavy global GDP contractions. Um, in Greece, for instance, uh, we've had serious problems with trade. I'm saying that because um, transport costs have increased and uh, our Association of Greek Industries is saying that we're also starting to experience marginal shortages of some basic goods, uh, basic supplies. So um, this is not a this is not a fun situation. Uh, we all know that the European Union was slow to sort of get off to a, to a start to support the situation. Now a package of 540 billion euros has been announced 
has been agreed upon at the Eurogroup. We today are preparing our plenary session tomorrow where we're um, going to um, adopt a joint resolution with respect to how we should go forward to deal with the coronavirus as European institutions. And um, we're expecting, I hope, more from the Commission and the Council in the days to come about the response to this. So having provided that with a, as an introduction, um, what's, what's the next day? What's the, what's the day after? What's the, what's the current situation we're in? But more importantly, what's the day after? So I'm very pleased that you're here because we can have three perspectives. We can have the perspective of the WTO, the perspective of the commission, of course, the perspective of industry with an emphasis on the transatlantic relationship, a very, very important relationship and one that I think, and also this will give us an opportunity to discuss the geopolitics of all this in the in the days, weeks, and months to come. So having said that, I would kindly ask for each of you to give us an introduction, introductory uh, statement, uh, maybe three to five minutes, um, regarding how you see the situation and how your organization is responding to it. So why don't we start, um, Sabine, please, could we start with you? We'll start with Madam Director General of DG Trade, please give us your thoughts on this. Thank you very much. Um, good afternoon, and thank you very much, uh, Anna Michelle, for having me on this panel. Um, I think you've already set the scene up to a point, uh, but let me just uh, emphasize that we are confronted with a double global, global crisis, uh, a pandemic, that's the immediate health crisis, uh, uh, and linked to that, a global economic uh, downturn uh, of a magnitude like we've never seen it before, uh, and which is likely to eclipse the experience of 2008. And uh, I think it is a good moment to start already now thinking about uh, the trade policy response uh, to this crisis, because I think what we are doing now will have an impact on how we are going to get out of this crisis. At the same time, I think we need to be aware that this crisis is playing out in different phases and that public policy and trade policy plays different roles depending on the phase in which we are in. So at this stage, we are still in uh, the heat of the pandemic and the public policy response is very much focused on the health sector itself. Uh, and that is what we have seen, and which also explains why it's been in the EU member states that have been the first line of response, because the uh, uh, responsibility for health policy is with member states. And here public policy is very much focused on providing the essential public services that are needed. Um, but we've also seen an impact on trade policy as countries have scrambled to take measures to ensure the availability of supplies. Member states have, especially of uh, personal protective equipment, but also more widely uh, medical and pharmaceutical products. We have seen that inside the EU. Uh, and here we've seen a clash of two worlds. Uh, the world of trade, which is one which is very integrated at EU level, has clashed with the world of health, where the competence is with the member states and sometimes even with the sub-national uh, level. Um, and what we have seen is that uh, where trade responses would not have been possible for individual member states, on the basis of their health legislation, 
some member states have taken restrictive trade measures vis-a-vis -vis other member states and vis-a-vis -vis, uh, third countries. What we have done is we have stepped in very quickly in order to say, let's put some order into that because restricting the flow of personal protective equipment, I mean, masks and gloves, that was in the, the first line of, of interest for everybody. Uh, if you restrict uh, the circulation of these goods, you basically constrain availability for everyone inside and outside the EU and you drive up prices. Not the best way to go about it. At the same time, we've said, Look, we have to have a look at uh, what we have. We are confronted with a global scarcity of these goods. Uh, and under these circumstances, we cannot leave the allocation of such scarce goods to the markets, because that would leave, lead to products being bought up, put into warehouses by speculators, mm -hmm. or things going to the general public to the detriment of the health and social care sector. So that's why we took a measure uh, focused on um, personal protective equipment, uh, where we said this, we do not ban the exports, but exports require an authorization because we want customs authorities, member states authorities to have a look at, is there scarcity of this and where does it go? And already in this first measure, which we took as an emergency measure for six weeks, it will expire 25th of April, uh, we have looked at ensuring availability also for the public health sector outside the EU. Uh, and we have encouraged member states to grant authorizations uh, for uh, international humanitarian organizations, etc. So that is what we have done uh, uh, at the moment. But at the same time, we have launched in the G20 a process uh, to agree with people to keep supply chains open. Now, for masks, and gloves, the supply chains are not that complicated. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a relatively simple product. But if you look at ventilators, things become a lot more complicated and we cannot afford to disrupt supply chains. So this is something we are trying to coordinate through the G20 so that we don't have a, a, problem, a problem there. Now, when we come to the next phase of the crisis, um, which is when uh, you know, hopefully we are starting to see the lifting of the confinement measures, economic uh, activity uh, will, will uh, pick up again, hopefully. All this will have to be supported by a big fiscal stimulus. That is also something we are coordinating inside the EU. Uh, but again, it's more the fiscal stimulus which will bring the relief. But we also have to look at a non-fiscal policy like trade policy to help with the recovery. And that is what we need to prepare now. And that is where we have to make sure that we have more resilient and diversified supply chains in the future. Because what the crisis has revealed is that sometimes you have a dependency on just one or two countries for delivery. And if you have a pandemic that strikes these main producers of key components for ventilators or whatever, or active pharmaceutical ingredients, you have a problem. So we need to build more resilient, more diversified supply chains. This is also a task on business. And I'm interested to hear Susan about that because uh, I think part of the, the companies will have to do more risk management uh, in terms of uh, reducing trade dependency. Uh, but at the same time, from the public sector, from public policy, we have to make sure that we maintain not only the single market, but we also maintain the single market open to the world, because that is the success of the single market. And here we can support, we do support the diversification of supply chains through our network of trade agreements. 
um, because um, our agreements with the rest of the world provide a lot of different uh, destinations for our investments and a lot of different destinations uh, uh, for the diversification of supply chains. At the same time, we are also currently considering a multilateral initiative or a plurilateral initiative, more realistically, in the WTO uh, on uh, uh, facilitating trade in medical uh, products and pharmaceutical products. Uh, so that is something we are currently discussing with our member states and which we would like to take to Geneva. So Commissioner Hogan will discuss all this with uh, the trade ministers of the member states uh, tomorrow. He will also be in the European Parliament next week, virtually, yes. I guess. Um, so I think we will have a lot to discuss because we now need to set the scene for an open economy where after a situation heavily intervened and will continue to intervene heavily in the economy, we return to market-oriented conditions that have helped us in the past. And there's a strong transatlantic angle to this, and that's where I will stop, because I think the US and the EU together have to set the scene for such a recovery, doing away with trade barriers and trade restrictive measures that were already introduced before uh, the crisis. So I think doing away with those is even more important in the context of the recovery from the economic crisis. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sabine. So as we try to, to, to restore a sense of order to international trade in the internal market and restructure our relationships in order to, to have these diversified supply chains and in order to be self-sufficient but market-oriented and, and, and also safeguard the multilateral, uh, multilateral trade-based system like we always have in Europe, um, the WTO is facing a number. Of, I'll, I'll start with the, with the multilateral aspects of this. So, so how is how is the the WTO dealing with this with this crisis in terms of what it means for trade? I mean, what it means for trade today, and and mostly what it means for how we're going to deal with trade tomorrow. Maybe be, before we look at the bilateral transatlantic aspect in the industrial perspective, let's let's get the the multilateral setting first. Victor, please. Thank you very much, uh, Anna Michelle, and good afternoon, um, everyone. Uh, really pleased uh, to be here. Um, we are in uncharted waters. I think the first thing that uh, we all need to recognize is that nobody was really prepared for, for this crisis. This caught many of us uh, by surprise. And I think it's only fair that we all recognize this. Now, having said that, I think the response has been uh, quite consistent and um, governments and institutions around the world have, um, have replied quite swiftly. And I think that's the case for us in WTO uh, as well. We started by doing something which seems quite simple but is very important, which is to establish a surveillance transparency mechanism. I think the first thing that uh, everybody has to do is to know what everybody else is doing. Um, it, it sounds simple, but it's very easy mechanism um, to monitor the trade measures that um, are being taken by uh, different countries. And um, I must say that these measures at this stage are the ones that Sabine were, was referring to as the first phase. So we're on the first phase and people are taking measures, 
they are emergency measures. Some of them um, are liberalizing measures. You would be surprised at the amount of tariff reduction that has taken place, quite remarkable. Indeed, more than anything in uh, medical uh, goods, uh, but, but not only. Um, so there is a lot of, of that. Uh, on the other side, there's also export restrictions. Some of them have been mentioned uh, here already. Um, and, and, and those are more, uh, are more worrying. Uh, so that's, I mean, putting together a, a transparency mechanism is the first thing that we did. And I think this is appreciated by, by our members. We, uh, as an institution, also took the initiative of coordinating with other international organizations, with the WHO and the FAO um, uh, on one side. We also contacted the World Customs Organization to make sure that um, you know, customs procedures could be facilitated at this time. Um, and last but not least, the G20, um, and again, it is an coordinate political coordination there, and the G20 trade ministers uh, and the director general um, issued this uh, statement um, in which they call for uh, the to be target proportionate, transparent, and so all of this is is very important that these measures that are being taken now are indeed um, targeted, that they don't go beyond what they need to do, that they are proportionate to what is happening today, that they are transparent, and this is one place where it's in, and that they're temporary. And I guess the temporary is, is um, where Sabine's second phase will, will come. How is this going to unfold? And your question, um, uh, Anna Michelle, as to what is the day after, well, I guess the only reply that we can give today is it depends. It depends on, on how people are going to behave. And the numbers that you mentioned at the beginning, namely, you know, the 12% reduction in, in trading goods to the 32 reduction, which is the ugly scenario, as the uh, Director General Azevedo mentioned, depends a lot on, one, the duration of the pandemic, but also in the policy response that is going to be taken. If people take uncoordinated, uncooperative policy responses, then the scenario is going to be uglier than it needs to be. So I guess one call for the day after is a call for increased international cooperation. And I'm very happy to hear the types of actions that the European Union is thinking about, some type of retro um, initiative on reducing tariffs in, um, in medical uh, equipment, but not only. I mean, I think we should, we should go beyond that and, um, and take uh, this uh, pandemic crisis as an opportunity to do, uh, to do things that are, are long overdue um, and uh, you know, shy away from the easy um, response, which is to close markets. That is not, trade is not part of the problem. Trade is part of the solution for uh, what we're living today. Thank you. Thank you for those, uh, those opening remarks, uh, Victor. I, 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 um, I appreciate that you're spearheading the effort now on a multi, uh, 
lateral level to try and restore the situation and deal with with what is is I think sort of normal for countries to during what what Sabine called the first phase. Uh, the first instinct is always to protect yourself in order to survive. So um, now I think we're all slowly discovering that uh, together we can protect ourselves more efficiently. And I hope that we'll take these lessons to the future and, and then hopefully not dealing with similar situations. But even as this pandemic unfolds, we'll have various cycles of it. Uh, maybe we can shorten the next cycles and deal with them more, um, more effectively. Now, um, Susan Danger, I come to you uh, to give us industry's sort of perspective on, on this. Um, what it what it's what it's feeling, how much it's expected to suffer, what it expects from uh, international organizations, uh, the commission, policymakers, legislators like myself, and also um, to give us a sense of what the repercussions are on the transatlantic relationship. So okay. please, Susan. Thank you very much, and thanks so much, Anna Michelle, for the invitation. And I'm very honoured to be here together with Sabina Victor. So. Uh, Nice to see you virtually. Um, interesting to hear about the phases, and maybe I'll try and I'll try and talk in the phases as well, because that's pretty much how we see it as well. Maybe if I may, for your listeners to your social media, just to clarify to them who we represent, um, which are 155 US companies, what we say invested and committed to Europe. And I think importantly, the two things that we stand for is firstly, which is really very relevant to this conversation a strong and united Europe, which I'm going to raise as one of our concerns. And the second one is maintaining and strengthening the transatlantic relationship, which I know we'll talk about later. So good for your listeners to hear that. And perhaps for them also to know my second role, I have a second hat at the moment, which is a voluntary one, which is I'm chair of the network of all the AMCHAMs around Europe, which again, very relevant. And there's never been so much coordination, I have to say, in the last three to four weeks with them, so much alliance building. but. Perhaps, you know, to the point that's been made by the previous speakers, exactly unprecedented times, we've never lived through this. And it firstly, it's not that we're going to have social and economic implications. We're already seeing them now. I think that that is it's not they're already happening. And important to note that, of course, business on both sides of the Atlantic is absolutely doing its utmost to work together and to support governments in this crisis, including the EU that, that, I, that I see there to adapt. I mean, just to give you a flavor, some of the challenges you can probably imagine that business is having is supply chains, as mentioned, production being cut completely. Then you have everything from staff shortages um, in many industries and retail either going bankrupt on the one side or not being able to cope on the, on, on the other. So you've got another big challenge for our companies is also we've really seen a progression of that through uh, you know you you start realizing you know we talk about digital yes we do need chips it might have not seemed essential at the beginning but you need chips in a lot of medical devices not only do we need digital for just continuing the economy as we're doing right now so i think it opens up a whole new perspective on why you need industry so i think what we see is definitely need maybe this cooperation between government and business and civil society as well not to forget going forward but importantly, what we are calling for is that we need global leaders for guidance and leadership. You know, never before has this been more critical. 
Uh, again, we can come to that and we would put a call out to the EU and the US to lead the effort to recover from the crisis now. And I'll, I'll recall, demonstrate the values. There's a huge communications challenge now, as always. We need to demonstrate the values that we share and show that we can we share them also with the rest of the global community so that we can stand up and lead and also show solidarity. I don't think we've heard that word yet, but we have put a call out for solidarity and our byline on my violin is it's cooperation that we need not competition and i'll come to that at the end it's always going to remain key so actually welcome the measures that sabine and victor already outlined there's been some really bold measures and we commend you for that and the response has been quick there's been a lot of criticism out there which actually we're quite concerned about and would like to sort of defend and commend all of the EU, particularly the Commission, for coming up and trying to coordinate this across the member states and also communicate in all these languages, which is not a given as well. And we made that point across the other side of the Atlantic. I'd just like you to know it's not a given and it's not easy. So thank you. Perhaps, you know, what, what are we doing as business? We have a portal. I'd encourage you and your listeners to look at that. Indeed, I think someone mentioned information sharing, Victor absolutely crucial that has been the big call for us everyone needs information particularly about what's happening in the member states so i mean i would point you to our portal it's expanded massively we've got what how business is responding how uh, the eu is responding to share that information what member states are doing and importantly initiatives from the companies as well and if you'll allow me just to give you a couple of examples which i think is amazing how you've probably heard you know companies such as say 3M, GE and Ford, completely different companies working to get together now to produce medical equipment. I mean, have you ever heard of Ford producing medical equipment? Um, you've got Boeing, who's not doing well. You know, aviation is a catastrophic crisis at the moment, uh, offering their dream lift to cargo plane to supply uh, essential equipment. And then you've got the banks, JP Morgan made a 50 million philanthropic donation to address public health and funding SMEs, let's not forget the SMEs here, it's crucial, uh, and Caterpillar as well have donated to the UN Foundation and WHO and funds around the world. So there's just a few examples. I would like to add here, the coordination at member states is vital. That is the call we've had. Uh, and perhaps while I've got the opportunity, what's interesting in, is, uh, you know, I was on a coffee with Amchem Slovenia talking to their members and they are still struggling to hear what is happening at EU level. I think that's still one of our challenges. How can we get across the member state level? What is really happening? Because I know there's so much happening and commend you for that, but it's still difficult getting that down to the member state level. Uh, but on that front, I'm doing our weekly best practice calls with all the Amchams, with Greece is doing some great work. Anna Michelle, you'll be quick pleased to know, uh, Amcham Greece. Uh, and also today we had Amcham China on the phone with our members. We did a town hall sharing best practice with Amcham China. So it's really bringing everyone together, including other associations in Brussels. So perhaps just to, to phase two, that's phase one. There's lots going on. And we will be coming out now. It's phase two should be economic recovery. And for us, three principles, if you'll allow me to cover, which we think are important for economic recovery. Number one, the single market absolutely has to be at the heart of Europe's economic recovery. And Chamiu, all our members, we're huge believers in it. We are believers in the European project. Do not forget that. 
the, the single market, we have to demonstrate again the tremendous benefit that it brings. I'm a big one on, those of you who know me better will know I'm a big storyteller. We have to tell the story about the benefits it brings. I think this is going to come out more, unfortunately through this crisis, that we're going to appreciate more how much we relied on that and how it's now not happening. So that's sort of one point. Um, the other point is importantly alluded to earlier, that yes, there have been restrictive measures brought in and gladly we brought in things like green lanes and export authorization to try to stop that green lanes. We welcome that, thank you very much. But we have to ensure crucially that any of these long, any long-term protectionist measures that have crept in do not stay there. And we have to recognize that the single market might be under pressure here and we have to support the single market on this to make sure they do not, these, do, these measures do not stay in place. So single market has to be at the heart of the economic recovery. Secondly, trade and investment, absolutely the fuel of the global economic engine. So when we go to multilateral trade, yes, we've said it already today, brings benefits to consumers and business on both sides. The EU is the world's largest trading bloc now, largest export of manufactured goods. Again, there could be this temptation that governments, and we're seeing it turn towards protectionism, and we have to stop that. So instead of inhibiting how goods move globally, the EU and US have to partner to facilitate trade, especially for goods and services that are going to treat COVID-19 firstly, firstly, but then also the phase two, the economic recovery. And we believe that in spite of the trade tensions, yeah, we know there have been some trade tensions, they're still going on. And the study, which we'll later Anna Michelle, indeed proves exactly that we remain each other's most important markets. The economy generates 5.1 trillion euros in total, total commercial sales, 16 million jobs onshored on both sides of the Atlantic, the largest and wealthiest market in the world, half of total personal consumption, and a third of global GDP. And what amazes me with this study, after 15 years of doing it, it still shows how strong this relationship is. This has not changed. So, and then finally, thirdly, international cooperation to find a common solution. Absolutely. The world's pressing issues that we have now, they can only be addressed through international cooperation. So it goes back to the word we've all said. We have to have a coordinated approach to COVID-19, to the health emergency, and then a coordinated approach also to the negative effects on the economy. So it's coordination all round. It's probably the, the, the one word which all, everyone on this call should go away with. And the transatlantic partnership, yeah, has never been more important than ever before. If we work, if both sides work together as global leaders, remember the common history and the values that we share. We've got to keep speaking about this all the time. Um, so my, my conclusion is really for this, it's this crisis, the phase one and the phase two cannot be dealt with by one country, one block or one continent. It's a global crisis. Economic nationalism and market fragmentation are not the way out. We need cooperation at EU level between member states, both phase one and also now the exit strategy included, Sabine. But also we need global cooperation and truly believe that the US and Europe should be leading on that. So I'll leave you with that. Thank you, Anna Michelle. Thank you. Thank you very much, Susan. We, we, um, we, we join, I'm sure, our, our voices with your voice um, calling for a way to go forward that's based on international cooperation. Um, I really hope that the transatlantic relationship will come out um, reinforced from this, uh, from this crisis, from making the decision that we, we need to deal with this together 
sharing our value-based uh, systems and um, and I, I really hope so. Just so you know, I did a MEPcast with uh, MCHAM Greece just a few days ago. Um, they did an excellent study, as I'm sure you know, about the first effects of the pandemic on Greek businesses. And based on that, have been very proactive in um, putting forth proposals that some, many of which our government and their fiscal stimulus package have um, actually um, implemented at the moment. So um, thank you again for the work that the AmCham Network is doing in general and for the coordination work. Um, I think I'll, I'll move back to, uh, I, I'd like to ask each of you a, a more specific question and then perhaps we can all close with our thoughts on what the next day is for Europe <laughs> and where Europe is strategically in all of this. But I'll start, I'll, I'll go the other way now and I'll start with, with Victor. Victor, the 12th ministerial conference was canceled and it was supposed to be held in June, correct? And now I think it's quite clear that that's not happening. It's been canceled. Um, this was supposed to be where the WTO was going to rehash and maybe move forward on a number of things. Um, I, I'd, like, I'd like you to tell us what you think WTO priorities are going to be now and how they've changed with respect to um, what was what? What were the priorities in 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 uh, the WTA minister and the ministerial the twelfth ministerial conference? And I'd like you please to to emphasize. Um, I, I we we had discussed this together also when I when I when I visited the WTO and when we spoke in Brussels that we were all very hopeful that e-commerce, which has now e-commerce and and maybe one of the good things of all this uh, is, is that. Um, Digital, the digitization has really skyrocketed. I mean, in Greece, I can't tell you how many things have been have been done in like a month that we've we've been trying to do for years, just because people, you know, have to. <laughs> Out of necessity comes uh, great progress in this. So, e-commerce, we were very hopeful that e-commerce and maybe data flows could be, uh, you know, uh, 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 some place where we could make some progress. Um, in the WTO forum and in general, so can you can you let us know you know what what what's the situation now? What are the priorities? What happens now with e-commerce, which is more important than ever? Digital data flows. Give us an idea about that, please. Sure. Thank thank you very much, um, Anna Michelle. Um, first of all, a a sort of a general uh, remark as to the situation that we're living that I personally find fascinating. We live in a moment uh, where uh, it seems like um, history is accelerating, right? There were a lot before, uh, things like reshoring or the importance of uh, digital uh, economy. And all of a sudden, the pandemic made these things um, exacerbated in, in a way. It's not like the world has completely changed, but rather, that some of the tendencies have been exacerbated. Um, so for the WTO, the priorities um, remain uh, very much the same, but I would say in, in an even more acute manner now that the pandemic is there. So if we uh, thought before the pandemic that a further um, trade liberalization, further trade market opening was, was important, even more so now, 
if we thought that e-commerce and, and data flows was, was important, many members are telling us even more now. So um, the, the question is how are our members going to be able to deal with these issues? And I guess uh, we are looking into uh, phase two. The ministerial conference, you're right. It is a milestone. It is a catalyzer. Uh, of, um, let's put it this way, political drama, where ministers get together and, and take decisions. Um, and unfortunately, it's, it was just not possible to hold it in Kazakhstan in, in June. Um, so members are now looking uh, at next year. Um, we are consulting with uh, members uh, to check when next year and where uh, next year. Uh, but surely there is a demand out there for many members to hold it uh, next year. And I would say there's also a demand not to lose sight of things that we can do here in Geneva. So some members have been calling for a special meeting of the WTO General Council, which acts as the ministerial conference between the, the meetings of the conference. Um, later this year, say in December, if conditions allow, uh, probably have something um, of high level with senior officials. I'm looking at Sabine now, or or even or even ministers who could come to Geneva and uh, deliver on things where there are deadlines, like fishery subsidies. Some of those uh, priorities uh, on e-commerce and um, data flow and the rest of it. You're aware of the joint statement uh, initiative, which is a I hesitate to say plurilateral because there is more than 80 members now. It does, I mean, 80, 80 is sort of half the membership. It doesn't sound right for me to call it a plurilateral, but for the ease of reference, yes, it's less than everybody. But let me put it this way. It's something that is important because it's not a north-south issue. Yeah. It's not developed, developing. There's lots of different members there. There's a lot of interest uh, from the developing world as well. And here again, my, and you've heard me say this, Anna Michelle, I am absolutely convinced that in order for that initiative to be successful, a transatlantic uh, dialogue is needed. You need to have the EU and the US talking on tricky issues like privacy and, uh, and data flow. Um, so that just as a parenthesis, it is a very important that this dialogue um, is fluid so that this continues. And um, I don't see the initiators of the joint statement initiative on e-commerce saying, okay, because of the pandemic, we're abandoning this. Not at all. I uh, rather see uh, people saying, let's go back to work. Um, there have been informal conversations here with the three co-conveners, um, Japan, Australia, and Singapore. Uh, they continue to talk to people um, through virtual means. So um, anything but stopping, on, on the contrary, I think the conditions today um, make it even more important. I mean, something that uh, Susan was saying, that cooperation is there. And that type of cooperation needs to take place and of course, the WTO is 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 a key place for uh, for that cooperation to take place. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much, Victor. So, Sabina, this is what I, I would like to ask you: three things that I think are related. One, um, 
how 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 do we deal with uh, states that member states that continue to to act in these protectionist uh, ways that want to stay in phase one for longer than they should and are doing this in other in other areas? I'm 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 an example is I've, I've tabled a question about this and and also our minister of of uh, food de, de, of rural development and food Mikey Sporidis has also submitted a sent a letter to the commissioners commissioner hogan as well romania uh, since um very a few days ago has suspended and and even banned the exports of cereals uh flour sugar oil various agricultural products so you know what what do we do with the tendencies of member states to start doing things like that as we go forward that's one question the second is what do you think i mean there was a lot of, a lot of discussion on on what real policy and how this should change maybe in um the european union there was a draft that was put out um some time ago before this crisis came in do you think that the relationship between um trade and how we support strategic uh industries enterprises and producers and how these you talked before about diversified supply chains how important is for the is it for these supply chains to now be within europe as opposed to outside of europe um and thirdly do you think um europe as as a european union how much should we be fencing ourselves off from um efforts that are going to be made then you know the day after to make investments in europe i mean how should we protect ourselves from um investments in in strategic maybe industries uh that could threaten our autonomy or independence or ability to deal with crisis in the future please you need to turn on your microphone there we go. Sorry. Thank, uh, thank you very much. I think that's a lot of yes. uh, uh, a lot of questions. Okay. A lot can be said. We will not exhaust that issue today. Uh, the first question is perhaps the simplest one. Um, the way we've been dealing with member states is through cooperation and trying to understand what they are trying to achieve. And as I said, uh, you know, uh, we said to member states, if you introduce restrictions in the single market, you know, there are infringement procedures we can take. But, you know, tell us first what you're actually trying to achieve and maybe we can help you achieve that with less trade restrictive measures. That's exactly what we've been doing on the export authorization regime. And we are constantly following up with the member states, intervening when we hear that uh, things are stuck at the border, etc. So that's what we are doing on everything that is medical. Um, now, uh, indeed, we were very unpleasantly surprised by the Romanian measures, uh, which introduced export bans uh, on uh, products mm -hmm. uh, for which there is no scarcity and no shortage. Mm -hmm. So it is very dangerous because you can create the very shortages you're pretending to address by introducing restrictive measures. Uh, Commissioner Hogan uh, has been in contact with his agriculture colleague and the Commission has sent a letter to the Romanian authorities. We have the Trade uh, uh, Council uh, through video conference tomorrow. This will be brought as well. 
And uh, we have made it very clear that uh, we will use all the instruments at our disposal to address uh, these Romanian measures, which are indeed very worrying. Um, so here we are in, in dialogue and we need to do something about this very quickly. The second question, and the third one in a way, is about how uh, does uh, uh, this experience of this double crisis affect our traditional market-oriented open model based on open trade. Mm -hmm. um, and I think here we will have to, uh, uh, we will decide on that. We will do not know how we will get out of it. If we make the wrong choices, we will all be the poorer. So I think this is a discussion we have to have and we need to look at. Now, and I think there is a balance to be struck here. Strategic autonomy does not mean self-sufficiency. Strategic autonomy means that you have a diversified open economy which allows you to weigh in on world affairs, to shape global trade rules and global trade practice, uh, to be able to ensure that your companies enjoy an environment where they can compete on the basis of their merits and their abilities. Not mean bringing every production back home. And I'm sorry, I do not think that the competitiveness of European industry long-term or medium-term lies in the production of face masks. So I applaud the fact that in a wartime economy effort, everyone is basically now pulling their weight and uh, uh, addressing a global shortage that we have, but that is not where the long-term competitiveness is. Um, so I would really make a difference between strategic autonomy, creating the conditions for our business to thrive on the basis of to develop their strengths and an idea of self-sufficiency uh, which has never worked in human history. Self-sufficient and especially for a continent like Europe which is so poor uh, in raw materials, self-sufficiency is not a choice that is available to us. One in seven jobs in the EU is supported by exports. 85% of global growth in the next 10 years will take place outside Europe. And we need imports in order to export. I mentioned already the example of ventilators who, who com are composed of, depending on the city, 600 to 900 uh, 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 components. No continent, no country is able to produce all of those. Or if somebody were to try, it would come at an enormous cost. Uh, which would make the recovery almost impossible or would make growth very anemic. So I really think that we have to uh, get back to our strengths, which is an integrated internal market, which we project, the weight we project at global level in the spirit of open rules-based trade. Now, at the same time, we must not be naive. And we must be, there are people out there who may to benefit from the current weakness of Europe, and that is the risk is enhanced by the fact that different parts of the world are getting out of this crisis at different moments. And that is, for instance, why we put out guidance on FDI screening for reasons of security and public order. And this was driven by two concerns. One is we wanted to avoid that somebody comes and buys up uh, 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 research companies that are about to produce a vaccine for uh, against COVID-19 or against the, 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 the SARS-CoV-2 virus. 
uh, and limit the availability of that vaccine to certain parts of the world. So that was the immediate concern to prevent that. And secondly, to prevent that those parts of the world which come out of the crisis earlier could go on a shopping spree in Europe and buy up companies which would be unduly cheap simply because the stock markets have uh, uh, tumbled. So what we said to member states is we want you to do a proper screening, but at the same time, Europe will continue to depend on foreign direct investment. We will want to continue attracting foreign direct investment. So we need to strike a balance here. We are not uh, turning protectionist, but we are not naive either. And that's why we have to make sure that, you know, we do not sell off our strategic assets in whatever industry, uh, uh, just because there is a, uh, a cyclical weakness at the moment because of the crisis. But the overall orientation for the, the EU has no choice but to choose openness and uh, to play also a leading role together with others in the WTO in order to push that forward. The agenda of the WTO is more relevant than ever. Um, I've only, I mean, we've talked a lot about our export authorization scheme. We have also taken trade facilitating measures. We have reduced, uh, uh, we have provided duty relief uh, on uh, uh, tariffs, import tariffs and VAT uh, for medical products. But we need to look at building resilient, diversified supply chains also in that sector. So I come back to what I said in the beginning. We need an initiative in the WTO that creates the predictability that gives companies the confidence to invest, especially SMEs who depend much more than big companies on a rules-based system. At the same time, and that's what I wanted to come to as well, what is the long strategy? Now in the EU, we have under the leadership of uh, President Fonda, this twin strategy, which builds on digitalization, the digital transformation, and the climate change, the, the Green Deal. The crisis and the responses to the crisis, these, these twin track in different manners. Digitalization is getting a boost. I mean, our meeting here today is a demonstration. demonstration. So I think that that will inject dynamics into, for instance, the digital trade discussion. It will also uh, inject uh, momentum into the framework we are trying to develop inside the EU companies to move forward with digitalization in confidence. And we need to find a solution where like-minded countries, and I mean here democracies that value civil rights uh, uh, and the protection of individual freedoms and data privacy, get together to shape the rules for that. So back to the transatlantic agenda, which is important in this respect. But also the negotiation investment facilitation uh, and on uh, domestic regulation in services are very important. So the WTO agenda is very important. On uh, the Green Deal, we will face also more resistance. At the same time, the crisis shows that, you know, with climate change, the risks of pandemics are in uh, increasing we will see more viruses attacking human life because of climate change. So at the same time, we've seen that we can make, if necessary, for the protection of human life, we can make radical changes in the way we operate our economies. And I think we need to apply that to the challenge of climate change as well. And for me, that means that 
as we said, a big part of the, of the economic recovery will have to be supported by a fiscal stimulus. And we have to make sure that we direct investments through the regulatory framework that we create towards Green Deal industries. So I really think that we also need to look at our recovery plan as one that supports our long-term uh, uh, our long-term growth strategy uh, in the EU, and that will require a lot more heavy lifting uh, in the future. Um, and I think that is, uh, I think I've tried to yes. cover at least telegraphically all we your questions. We certainly have, but we, we come back to the fact that we, uh, we need an international rules-based system to deal with this in any case. We need to remain open and we have nothing to gain either independently, individually, or collectively by turning protectionist in the face of, in the face of this crisis. So, Susan, I come to you because I, I um, you, you did release the 2020 edition of the Transatlantic um, Economy Report, which we, we read with, with great interest. And one of the highlights is, once again, the strength of the EU-US digital economy. Um, and, and Sabine touched on how, how, how we all think that this is going to be uh, strengthened through this crisis and it's already taken leaps and bounds forward. So how can the EU and the US harness this opportunity to, to reinvigorate, let's say, the, the transatlantic trade and, and bilateral cooperation? How does the, the pandemic affect um, the relationship I was telling you before that uh, before this all started, I was in Washington, as you know, as as vice chair of the INTA committee of the European Parliament on a delegation where we were just, for example, the mini deal. Um, I don't know where that is on the agenda at, at this point anymore. So could you, could you give us a, an idea of some insights on 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 these two aspects, the digital and, and what's happening with the negotiations today? Thank you. Okay, thanks, Anna Michelle. I'm sure uh, Sabine may know more than me, but I can give you certainly my reflections um, from this side. I think maybe I'll address it the, the other way around. You know, how do we harness the crisis first and then finish with digital? I mean, uh, uh, interesting that you use the word harness because I think there's a there is a quote from a apparently a former U.S. presidential chief of staff who said, "Never let a good crisis go to waste." harness the opportunity. So I think I've already heard that. I mean, just to so you know, I've mentioned earlier, we have never had, but we always have a lot of, we, we, we see ourselves as bridge builders, as you may know, across the Atlantic, but the conversations that we're now happening within Brussels with our friends and colleagues across the, at the US mission and across the other side of the Atlantic, including in the White House, we had USTR on the phone uh, just last week, is constant. So, uh, and everyone is working. I, I believe that behind the scenes, working away, that the working level, people are getting on with this, working towards, I'm not sure mini deal is the word that is, uh, is being used for this, for a deal. Um, ideally, yes, before the US elections, no one can say, but there is the will there. And I know that Commissioner Hogan is in regular, I understand, Sabine, that can uh, be regular contact and DG Trade is in regular contact TR. And in fact, USTR is not at all focused on the COVID crisis as such. So this is enabling them to get on with the work in hand. So I think that's that's very positive. And I think my, my in my conversations that I've had, there's very much a mood of feeling now, you know, 
is this a, is this the opportunity to, to park some of our differences and find some renewed positive momentum maybe through this crisis we can see how much we need each other more um let's not say it's easy don't get me wrong this is not easy there is uh been talk about you know we, we have uh someone else said the other day all the route has been long digested and passed away it's fallen long long ago so what remains indeed are the tricky issues let's not pretend but i do believe that there is will to move forward on that i mean one area indeed is you know concluding conformity assessments you know if we can make progress there that would be a big win certainly business would see that as one you know if we could align our regulations to stop double testing wherever possible and harmonize the rules there and that would also remove some of the trade barriers for SMEs which again several of us have, have alluded to let's not forget the importance of small and medium-sized enterprises in this uh, they have a ma it's a massive they, they could then participate in the transatlantic economy so we need to 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 stress stress that even more and um, I think as well moving to digital yeah if anything the pandemic indeed has highlighted the absolute value of the digital economy and transformation as if we did not need to know that uh, already. Again, we're using it today. It, in fact, it has massive transformative potential. I believe, we believe, it's gonna transform the way we work. This is not, we're not gonna go back to normal. None of the businesses that I work with are saying we're gonna go back to normal. And we've, uh, we've, we're doing new things all the time so this is just our business here in the Brussels bubble. Imagine everybody else. In fact, I heard a good example from China today from my Amcham China colleague with using digital. In fact, the government there is not giving cash out because the cash can just be put in the bank. They're giving out digital bonuses so that you can only, you can spend this digitally, but you have to spend it. And then the, the shops that you spend it in have, sometimes some of them are being very entrepreneurial and doubling the amount. So it's to get, consumer spending going so i mean that's just yeah just having to come up today i just thought of it as a practical uh, a practical example of where digital is starting to transform the economy and i i think that we can see that going forward so yes on digital it is the study shows anna michelle that digital is what's driving prosperity now uh yeah there's an old transatlantic economy the new transatlantic economy is digital i mean i have got a couple of facts and figures of, of course to to quote to you but for example, uh, to demonstrate also the importance of the transatlantic relationship, that 55%, there are 55% more data flows via transatlantic cables than there are via trans-Pacific routes, and 40% more than via Latin American US routes. So it shows you, again, the importance of both digital, but also the transatlantic relationship. And 75% of digital content globally is produced in North America and Europe. So it's massive. It's absolutely massive. Um, so I think, again, I mean, maybe just to, to finish there on that. Yes, we do. We will need in the sort of phase two. We will. We need this anyway, but more than ever. Significant investment now in digital skills, in digital infrastructure, emerging technologies and more. And so that will bring me back to the coordination work again which is to do that, we need to be coordinated at every level, as to, at the international level, the EU, the member state level, but also with civil society, sometimes that gets forgotten, let's coordinate with civil society and the private sector. I mean, I think the need for the private sector has been shown up even more, the role they play, and by working together, how much stronger we are in ensuring the success, and I hope the sustainability 
of a digital future. So I, th I think, you know, just to finish there, I, I would say, yes, you know, again, you know, let's cooperate. Let's not try not to compete. Cooperation, uh, as uh, Sabine said there, which was on a different note, but on self-sufficiency, yes, you know, oh, can we be self-sufficient? No, we need to cooperate. We need each other. Uh, and then everyone will be stronger. So we, we would strongly, as Anne you strongly push for that. Great. Thank you very much, Susan. I am um, taking, taking into account the fact that we're almost out of time. Um, I, I think I, I'd like to do two, th two things. First of all, I'd like to thank you again very much, all of you, for being so forthcoming with your time and, and your knowledge. Um, I think we've all, I, at least I have come out much wiser from hearing each of your perspectives. So what I would propose so we don't run over time is the following. I will thank you and I will close by asking you a question and I will be the first one to answer it. Um, please in one minute in closing, could you tell me what you think the number one um, most important attribute is so that Europe can come out of this a winner and, um, and, and help the world do the same? my perspective, what I think it is at the moment, having, watching what's been going on in all European institutions in dealing with this, listening to voices from industry, listening to international organizations that are dealing with trade, the economics, and listening to European citizens um, from all over the world, because I also do this series called Map to Map, where I talk to other colleagues who tell me what their constituents are telling them listening to my constituents here in Greece. I think this is a moment for me, one of the key factors, if not the top one, is going to be boldly. I think we need bold leadership. I really think we need, we need to go forward. And, and that is going to take um, determination, strength, and very, very clear, and open decisions um, that we explain to our constituency. So having said that, that's my, my perspective. Um, please, each of you, could you, could you let, tell me what the number one factor is from your perspective in making sure that Europe comes out on top of the corona pandemic? I'm gonna start with you, Susan, and go this way this time. So Susan, please, and thank you very much, Susan Danger from AmCham um, for your time. I would say, you've said bold leadership, so I can't say that, Anna Michelle. So um, I will say, and I've just said cooperation, so I'm sounding like a broken record, but I will say, I think I'm gonna have to say it, I would say we, EUS, we thrive together. Um, it's been proven that we thrive together. The single market in the EU, we thrive together. So if we want to continue striving to thriving together, indeed, bold leadership at every level, but we need cooperation, not competition. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you again, Susan Danger, CEO of AmCham EU and Chair of AmCham in Europe Network. Um, Victor DePrado, please give us your, Victor DePrado, what is number, number one uh, in your book at the moment? 
Bowman, Director of the Council and Trade Negotiations Committee of the WTO. Thank you very much for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Anna Michelle. And um, it's been a, a real pleasure. As you said, I am much wiser after having heard you and the other participants. I would shy away from uh, saying, giving any advice to uh, Europe, um, but I would say that for all of our uh, members uh, in the WTO, we need uh, indeed, as you said, strong leadership, and we need trust. We need people to trust each other because that is the basis of any type of cooperation. This is a time when um, people need to reach out, need to talk to each other, and we need to build trust uh, in uh, the international scenario to be able to overcome these uh, difficult times. Thank you very much. Thank you, Victor. Okay, we're in Leadership Cooperation Trust. Sabir, thank you very much for, for being with us today. Director General of DG Trade. So you uh, um, please close this discussion by uh, telling us the top priorities so Europe can come out on top of the crisis. Um, I agree with everything that has been said already. I like the uh, uh, bold leadership. I like the trust. I like the cooperation. But if I can add something, I would say what Europe needs and which will make us come out of this crisis more uh, stronger than we are now is solidarity. Solidarity inside the EU, but also with the rest of the world. And I'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you to all of you. Stay safe, stay healthy. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to our discussion in person the next time. Thank you again. Thank you, Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.